All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Renew. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Uh, well, I have never met an overwhelming majority of you. My name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor at Cedarbrook Church over in Menominee. And if you've been at Renew the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, we are together in the midst of a sermon series called Faith Hacks. Uh, Cedarbrook was a part of the team that helped get Renew Church started here in Eau Claire. I was telling a few people before church, James Jamie and I have been friends for nearly 20 years now, Uh, so it is simply fantastic to be here to preach in his stead, but also just to see what him and Emily have been up to working with God over the years to partner with all of you to put on this amazing thing that's called Renew Church. Uh, And so hopefully you've been dialed into this Faith Hacks series. If you are brand new to it this morning, the idea is this. Uh, The term hack uh, forever has kind of been something that's had a very negative connotation, right? It's something that is thought of somebody who's not quite measuring up, somebody who's not doing the job very well. But in its recent history, a term hack has more been known as some sort of a shortcut, some sort of a tip that can help us achieve more quickly. If you go online and check out YouTube or uh, Instagram or TikTok, there is going to be all sorts of hacks for your family, for your home life, for your work, for everything. And as a group of pastors, we thought that this summer we would band together and share some faith hacks, some tips, some tricks, some techniques to help you take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. So before I reveal my faith hack this morning, I want to ask everybody who is here, whether you're here in person or watching online, uh, I want to ask you a question, and it is okay to raise your hand for this. Does anybody ever feel like life is overwhelming? Anybody else in that category? Okay, so it's like most of us. I mean, life can be just overwhelming at times. It feels like it's impossible to keep up. This became a reality for me about four summers ago. Uh, My wife Anna and I have four boys. Uh, Today they are 15, 14, 12, and 9, I think. Like, they're in those spectrums somewhere. And all four of our boys simply love being involved in anything that's athletic, like any sporting event they can participate in, anything they can do to be active, they absolutely want to participate. So like four summers ago, we had all four boys in baseball, everywhere from t-ball up to like the kid throws it and tries not hit the other team's batter. And then my oldest two sons decided that they loved basketball enough that they were also going to play AAU basketball at the same time. So if you do the math with me, that is six sports schedules all at once. Now my wife, she is an amazing organizer. Uh, She had like color coordinated calendars, one for each kid, so we would get the right kid to the right place at the right time in the right state with all the right equipment and the It was absolutely 
unbelievably detailed. And one evening, my second oldest child, Micah, uh, had a baseball game in Oliva, and my third oldest son, Caleb, had a practice in Menominee. And so I was the driver to get Caleb to practice in Menominee, and Anna was the driver to get Micah to the game in Oliva. And when I got to the practice in Menominee with Caleb, I realized that I had the wrong son at the wrong location. You see, the game for Micah was supposed to take play, or the practice was for Micah in Menominee and the game was for Caleb in Eau Claire. And so we had like almost everything right. Like we had the right sport. We had the right locations. We had the right times. We had the right equipment. But I had the wrong kid. And so it was at this moment that I got on the phone and I called my wife as she was driving from Menominee to Oliva and I said, well, you've got the wrong kid going to the wrong place. And after a moment of frustration by us as the parents and a few moments of tears by our kids because they were missing what they so wanted to do, we met at Dairy Queen for Dilly Bars and laughed about it for quite a while. You see, it was in this moment where I realized that the lifestyle that I had developed was completely out of balance and out of rhythm. It was no longer sustainable for our family to have six sports schedules and try to keep everything straightened out. Something had to change. Now maybe you've been in a position like this before and quite possibly you are there right now. You're overwhelmed You're stressed out. You're burnt out. You're on the edge of just throwing your hands in the air and saying, let's just go to Dairy Queen. If you're in this place today, or if you've been in this place before, or if you can see this place coming in the near future, I've got good news. I hope that today's message can sink in and can bring you some freedom from that overwhelmed, stressed out lifestyle that is going on. So today, I want to deliver to you a life hack, a faith hack that can help us move from living this frantic pace of life to moving to a lifestyle that God designed for us. You see, this frantic, overwhelmed, burnt-out pace of life is not a lifestyle that God intended for us. God doesn't want us to live on the brink of disaster, on the edge of complete burnout, ready to just give up. So today, I want to share with you about the faith hack of rest. The faith hack that the Bible calls Sabbath. And I want us all to together discover what living a God-designed life, a balanced life that includes Sabbath or rest as a core element can be like. So to explore this idea of rest and how rest can help us live a God-designed, a God-style life, we're going to be looking at a story that's found in the book of First Kings chapter 18 and 19. So if you have your Bible with you or if you've got a Bible app on your phone and you want to track along with it, the the scriptures are going to come up on the screen as well. But we're going to spend a bunch of the rest of our time in 1 Kings chapter 18 
and 19. Now, the main figure in this story is a man by the name of Elijah. Maybe you've heard of Elijah. He was a prophet for God. He was a prophet in the Old Testament during the reign of King Ahab. So Elijah is a prophet for God, and he is in charge of the church during the reign of King Ahab. And King Ahab is known as one of the worst leaders of Israel of all time. He's one of the worst kings. He is not a good king at all, and it's for one simple reason. The woman that he married, Jezebel worshipped a false god and brought worshipping of this false god Baal into the Israelite people. She brought Baal worship to Israel and that is God's people. And so this worship of other gods basically just brought on a ton of controversy for the Israelites. Brought on a lot of controversy and things just weren't going well and there were fights breaking out amongst the people all the time. So Elijah, the prophet, and King Ahab, they were regularly having discussions about whose God was the one true God. And so Elijah and Ahab would have these conversations about whose God was in control of the universe, about whose God was the one true God. And now I might be paraphrasing here just a little bit, but one day Elijah goes to the king and he says, I have an idea. Why don't we do this? You think Baal is the one true God, and I think the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, is the one true God. Why don't we go up to the mountainside on Mount Carmel, and we will each build an altar to our own God. One of us will build an altar over here, the other will build an altar over here, and we will both cry out to our gods and ask our God to rain down fire upon our altar. And whichever God rains down fire from the heavens upon their altar, we will all agree that that is the one true God. So King Ahab agrees this is a great way to solve this ongoing debate. And they go out to the mountainside. Elijah allows the prophets of Baal to go first early in the morning. They build up their altar and they begin crying out to their God. They begin singing and chanting and they do all sorts of crazy things, including they start slashing their bodies and they're asking their God to rain down fire on their altar and crickets. It's nothing. Nothing is happening. And I kind of like this part of the story. Like I identify with Elijah here. In the middle of chapter 18, Elijah actually starts to like trash talk the prophets of Baal just a little bit. He's taunting them. He says, hey guys, what's going on? What's wrong? Is, is your God unavailable right now? Is he, is he busy? Is he deep in thought? Is he napping maybe? God, your God just can't become available. Maybe he's off on vacation. So Elijah is having some fun with these prophets of Baal. And finally, Elijah stands up and he says, okay, stop. Stop. Stand back and watch what happens when my God takes center stage. So Elijah takes center stage. And remember, the deal is whichever God rains down fire from heaven and burns up the altar that they have built will be known as the one true God. So Elijah does something that nobody should do. And he turns to the prophets of Baal and he says, hey, why don't you guys go down to the river and grab four buckets of water and pour it all over my altar? 
And so they do. They pour it all over the altar. And his altar is extremely wet. And then he digs a trench around his altar. And he says, why don't you go get four more buckets of water? This is the second time. And they dump them. And then a third time, they go and they get four buckets of water. And now his altar is soaking wet. And the trench around his altar is filled to the lip with water. Can you imagine the tension that is building? Elijah, the solo, the single prophet for God to the Israelite people, with 450 prophets of Baal looking on, has a soaking wet altar. The king and the queen are paying attention for what is going to happen. And then in 1 Kings verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 36, we read this. Elijah says... Lord God, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and all of Israel, let it be known today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and all of these things have been done at your command. Oh God, let them know that you are the one true God. And instantly fire rains down from heaven and scripture says that the fire licked up the water that was around the altar. It was an amazing victory for Elijah and for God's people to prove that God is the one true God, but Elijah is not done. The story does not end here. He turns to the 450 prophets of Baal and he says, you have deceived God's people and he kills every last one of them. It's a massive victory for the kingdom of God because there are no longer these false prophets preaching about a false God. And actually, it's right here that the story that I want to share with you picks up at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, this is her talking about herself, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make you like one of them. So the queen is threatening the life of Elijah. She's threatening to take his life. And I would think if I was Elijah, I would be like, yeah, no big deal, right? I just, I just had God rain down fire and burn up my altar to prove that he is the one true God. And then God gave me alone the strength to put to death 450 prophets. But Elijah is not so brave on this day. 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Basically, Elijah is saying, I have had enough. And this is that spot of feeling overwhelmed, right? Have you ever been in this spot where you are so overwhelmed that you just want to throw your hands in the air and quit whatever it is 
that is getting you there. Maybe it's your studies in school. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's parenting and your kids are a lot to handle right now. But we all seem to get to this place where we are so stressed out that we just don't think we can handle it anymore. You see, I think the truth is that being overwhelmed, being stressed out, being burnt out leads us to a very dangerous place. It led Elijah to an extremely dangerous place. It led Elijah from one of the biggest victories for the kingdom of God that's recorded in all of the scriptures to a place where he wanted to take his own life. That's a a big gap between those two things. Being overwhelmed, it often leads us to these dangerous places in our lives. And the story continues in verse 4. Elijah says, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Here's what's going on. Elijah is fried. He is exhausted He is at the end of his rope emotionally and mentally and physically and spiritually. And maybe you're there. Maybe you can identify with the way Elijah was feeling or maybe you have been there. And it's at this moment when we are burnt out and exhausted and overwhelmed that life can be extremely dangerous because it's at this moment that we're vulnerable. We are extremely vulnerable in this moment. But what God does next is the most incredible thing that I can witness. And it's not what I would think that Elijah would need from God in this moment. If you're like me, if you're anything like me, maybe in this moment when Elijah is down, when Elijah is overwhelmed, when Elijah is stressed out and wants to give up, maybe what you think Elijah needs like I think Elijah needs is a pep talk, right? He needs like the coach halftime speech where he's like, rah, rah, you can do this, Elijah, you got it. Don't you remember what we did just a couple of days ago on Mount Carmel, and that is not at all what God does. What God does is something so different that it needs to teach us something today. In verse 5, the story continues like this, then he, Elijah, lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. At once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him again, said, Get up and eat, for the journey has been too much for you. Verse 8. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob, the mountain of God. There, he went into a cave, and he spent the night. Do you see the pattern that is developing here? When Elijah is burnt out, when Elijah is stressed out, when Elijah is overwhelmed and can't take it anymore, God does not give him a pep talk. Instead, God gives him a nap. God gives him a nap and a snack. Elijah is worn out. And what God does is puts him to sleep and gives him some food. He sleeps and eats, sleeps and eats, and then walks a little and then sleeps and eats again. And all the while, Elijah is getting refreshed. 
All while this is going on, Elijah is recharging and getting back to being the man that God created him to be. But it's interesting that when Elijah is overwhelmed and stressed out and at the bottom of the valley, that is not the moment that God spoke to him and engaged with him to encourage him. Instead, when Elijah is tired and in the bottom of that valley, God gives him rest. When Elijah was overwhelmed and had given up, he was not ready or willing to hear from God, and neither are you. When we are exhausted and tired and overwhelmed, we are not ready to hear the voice of God and listen to what he has to say. When we are burnt out and ready to throw in the towel and head to Dairy Queen for Dilly Bars, that is not the time that we're going to hear from God. You see, the hard truth in this is, if the only time that you come to renew, to worship, is when you are at the end of it, when you're stressed out and burnt out and overwhelmed, when the only time that you open scripture or talk to God or go to a Bible study or join a small group is when you are exhausted and overwhelmed and burnt out, you are not ready to hear from God. In those moments, all we experience is the stress of life. In that moment when Elijah was at the end of it all, all he experienced was the stress of what was going on and he wanted to take his own life. But the truth that I want for you to know this morning is that just like Elijah, rest is going to be key for you hearing the voice of God in your life because a rested heart is a ready heart. A rested heart is a ready heart. A rested heart and mind and soul are ready to hear from God and share his love with the entire kingdom. See, as a society, we truly underappreciate the idea of rest. I mean, who's got time for a nap, right? It's kind of ironic, though, because God instituted this idea of rest throughout Scripture. I mean, God modeled this faith hack for us in creation, right? He created the earth in six days, and then what? He rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because God needed a nap. No, God rested because he wanted to set an example for us to follow. It wasn't only in the creation story, but God created this pattern for us to follow in the Ten Commandments. You will have a Sabbath and you will keep it holy. And then Jesus modeled it for us all of the time as he would escape the crowds and he would go out to the countryside to be alone with God and to rest and recover. You see, what the kingdom of God needed when Elijah killed the 450 prophets of Baal, when Elijah asked God to rain down fire on the altar and then got scared of Queen Jezebel, what the kingdom of God needed was not a burnt out, overwhelmed, on the edge of burnout prophet. But what the kingdom of God needed was a rested, rejuvenated, excited prophet who is ready to expand the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God needs from you today is not a worn out, burnt out, overwhelmed, stressed out follower of Jesus. What the kingdom of God needs is a rested heart so that we are ready to share the love of Christ with each and every person that we come in contact with. Remember, a rested heart 
is a ready heart. You're ready to listen, ready to learn, ready to love, ready to serve, ready to advance the kingdom in all sorts of amazing ways, and it all starts with rest. Now, I'm going to reference a quotation from one of my personal mentors, actually the the guy who was our founding pastor at Cedarbrook, not only a mentor of mine, but a mentor of Jamie's as well. And Pastor Remy Diedrich once said this in our pulpit over at Cedarbrook. He said, it is quite possible, it is quite possible that the most spiritual thing you can do today is take a nap. Let that sink in for just a second. It's quite possible that the most spiritual thing you can do today is take a nap. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I ain't got time for a nap. Ain't nobody got time for a nap, right? I mean, who does? And the honest answer is nobody that doesn't plan for it. Naps and rest, they don't just happen But the bottom line this morning is this. Your life will move to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. It's true. Your life will become better. Your life will move to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. That summer with six sports schedules, my family and I had to make decisions to tell our kids, no, you can choose one sport and we're not going to show up at all of your games. I have kids right now playing baseball games, and when I get back to my phone, I'll get all sorts of texts from all the other parents updating me on scores and pitching stats. But we have to find balance. We can't do it all. If we run at a full sprint in everything we do, we're going to burn out. We're not going to be the rested, ready heart that the kingdom of God needs. If you do everything with everything you got, never giving yourself a chance to rest and recover and replenish, you're going to be on the edge of breakdown emotionally and physically and spiritually. You're going to begin to rely on yourself instead of God, and we're not going to be ready to advance the kingdom, sharing the love of Christ with those who are around us, because what we need to remember is a rested heart is a ready heart. A rested heart is a ready heart, a ready heart to be used by God. So before I go, before I close the message, I want to share five practical things that you can do, five practical tips that you can implement today to move your life to a more sustainable place, pace. Number one, the first thing, take a nap. Like seriously, Figure out today or sometime this week how to set yourself up for a nap. It, it takes a lot to get away and do this because we all feel like we are the most important person in the universe. But I promise you, the world will go on if you lay down for half an hour. And actually, you will move to a better place When you wake up, seriously do it. If you have kids, invite them to join you. Put them to bed for a nap. Put down the device, turn off the electronics, and just rest. The second thing, the second thing that you can do is do something fun. Find out what it is that brings you joy. If you love to play golf, go golfing. If you love to go fishing, go fishing. If you like to quilt, quilt. If you want to find a live music event, go to a concert, a movie, a ball game, go swimming. Do something that brings you joy because we need to be rejuvenated. The third thing, this is where it goes from easy to hard. 
The third thing, take a 24-hour Sabbath. Sabbath is a, a time of separating ourselves from all that is going on to push pause on life and step away from it all. This summer, before the end of the summer, you have like six weeks before Labor Day is here and we're into all the fall activities. Try to find a way to pull away from it all. Shut off the devices, turn off the computer, shut down the Wi-Fi, and just get away for 24 hours. Let the emails pile up, let the alerts blow up your phone, and see how restored you are. It feels like you're going to be overwhelmed. When you walk back into the world, you're going to be overwhelmed by all the alerts and messages. I got good news, you won't be. About two summers ago, I had this idea that I was going to take a week-long Sabbath away from everything. And so I set my office alert email to say, unfortunately, I will never read this email. If this is important to you, please send it on Monday, July, whatever the date was going to be, or call the office and they will put you in touch with another one of our staff members. And then I set auto-delete every email that came in for an entire week I never saw. It was amazing. It was the most refreshing thing to walk back into my office to zero emails. Wouldn't that be amazing? Talk about rejuvenating. Number four, don't check your email before bed. Who's, who's guilty of this one? You check your email right before you go to bed, and then you stress out based on something. It's a bill that came in. It's an email from the boss. It's a coworker who's not going to show up. It's a family member who has a complaint. And then we lay there awake all night, and we never get the rest we need. And number five, this is the hardest one. If you're married, I want you to go home and I want you to talk to your spouse. If you're not married, I want you to go home and talk to a roommate, talk to somebody who's in your small group, call your mom or dad, find somebody that you trust and ask them this question, is my current pace sustainable? Is my current pace sustainable? And then truly listen to what they have to say. I mean, can you imagine... Can you imagine what your life, what your family, what your job, what your kids' sports team, what your school would be like if you were rested and rejuvenated mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Can you imagine with me, imagine if you had a rested heart that was ready to advance the kingdom of God. You would be ready to be the most amazing parent you've ever been to your kids. You would be the best spouse that your spouse had ever dreamt of. You would be the best servant to your neighbors in your community. You would be the best boss or co-workers that anyone has ever worked alongside. You would be the best student any professor or teacher had ever seen by applying to today's life hacked by applying today's faith hack of rest your everyday life will move to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace will you pray with me father god i thank you so much that you created for us this idea of rest God, that you not only created for us this idea of rest, but you told us about the importance of it, and then you modeled it for us to follow. God, today, I pray for Renew Church, that you will renew them through rest, that you will rejuvenate them 
through rest. God, that you will fill this place with hundreds of rested hearts who are ready to share your love, who are ready to share your word, who are ready to advance the kingdom of God into every corner of Eau Claire. God bless them today in Jesus' name.